Thursday. Even if your life is terrible, but you're born again, that song right there ought to mean something to you. It's good to be saved, man. What a blessing. God never did one more thing for me ever in my life. Not one more thing. I've already got more than I could ever deserve, and it's going to pay off for eternity. So saying thank you is not asking too much. Psalm 105, verse 1, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Ain't that amazing? It's Thanksgiving this week, right? And we're just in the next chapter. It's almost like the Lord knows what He's doing sometimes when you just preach the Bible. He lines it all up just perfect. I'm preaching a Thanksgiving message this morning. How about that? You know how I've been over the years and kicking back on all the expected themes of the seasons and all that stuff. And like, well, I guess the Lord expects it at Thanksgiving. So here it is. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name. Let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. Dan Berlucci, would you ask God to bless the preaching this morning, please? Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Notice the first line in Psalm 105, verse 1. It says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, when I read that, that sounds like a command. It doesn't sound like it's an option. Sounds like he says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord. Like God is instructing us in Psalm 105, verse number one, that as a Christian, to make the application to the New Testament, as a New Testament Christian, you ought to give thanks to God. Period. That's a, that's a tall order sometimes. Just so that you know, I'm not doctrinally outside of my rights to say what I just said. Paul tells the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You want God's will for your life, don't you? Don't, don't we all say that at some point or another? I just want to know God's will, and I just want to know what God wants. And nine times out of ten, let's just kind of be right at it this morning, not waste a whole bunch of time. To be right at it, usually what we mean when we say, I just want to know God's will, is we really have something in our mind, a preconceived notion of what we want, and that's what we're pushing God to tell us He wants. Rather than genuinely, Lord, here's a blank check, I've signed it, you fill it out, you tell me what you want for me. 
I do believe one of the second best things that ever happened to me outside of salvation in the spiritual context was when it finally dawned on me at some point in my life. It was probably a little bit of a slow process. But at some point in my life, I realized I don't know what's best for me. I don't really even honestly know what I actually want. I thought I wanted certain things, and then as I get older, I realize I didn't really want what I thought I wanted, and I do want what I thought I didn't want, and I've just come to realize God knows more about me than I know about myself. So I want to find out what His will is clearly in the Bible, and I want to do what I know I'm supposed to do because the will of God is found on the road of duty. When we talk about the will down there, the will in the future, the will for my dreams and aspirations. That ambiguous and dream-fulfilling will is found on the road of duty. Because the right road leads out at the right place, and duty is right to do because it's your duty to do it. Don't you just hate practical application of spiritual truths? I do. I'll never forget sitting across from my preacher and he said, the will of God is found on the road of duty. I was like, wow, that was really like totally anticlimactic to all of my dreams and visions and the stirring in my soul and my call to preach and my desire to go start a church somewhere, or be a preacher, an evangelist. He said, the will of God is found on the road of duty. Finish school. Go to work in the morning. I want to know now. Well, guess what? You're not going to know later if you don't figure out now what God wants from you now. And guess what God wants from you now? Every person in this room, the will of God for your life, give thanks unto Jesus Christ. Amen. Be a thankful Christian. Yes. Live a thankful life. Stop complaining and murmuring and grieving God like Israel did in the desert, like Israel did in the wilderness. Stop constantly looking at everything that's wrong and whining and complaining about what you don't have or the problems you do have. And stop for a second and give thanks unto God because that's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you this morning, right now, to be able to say thank you to God. I'm standing back there listening to my family sing. And I'm thinking like what a blessing it is that last night these songs are working on me while I'm sitting in the living room and they're in the front room and they're singing. You know what? They were, they're singing and practicing and when they sing, now I can brag on them because they're mine. Now it says let another man praise thee and not thine own lips and I'm a man and I'm praising them, okay? So it's, they're all girls and I'm a man. So another man praise thee and not thine own lips. When they sing they sound like one voice. She's taught them to do that. Like, don't be the standout. Don't be the show-off. We're not trying to show off our skills. We're trying to minister to God's people. And they can sing like that with a piano like that because we got a piano like this in our front room. Actually, the one in our front room is nicer. You know where that came from? Somebody gave it to us. A church, some church members gave us a piano in our front room that we would have donated to the church, but it didn't match because it's black. So it matched my house better than it matches the church. So this is the church. We were going to swap them out because we felt guilty keeping the nicer one. You come to my house, oh man, my word, what kind of money they got. That was given to us. Hey, you know what? Thank you, Lord. It's a blessing to see that God's been good to me. Hey, thank you for a voice to sing. Thank you for a church to sing in. 
Thank you for a song to sing. Thank you for being God. Thank you for all you've done. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my church. Thank you for the breath in my lungs. Thank you for the voice to praise God with, for a mind that works, for a body that works, for a Bible to read. Thank you, God. I owe him so much more than I can even put into words. It's God's will for you. Paul reiterates it to the church at Ephesus. He says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's real easy to say thank you when somebody gives you a piano that's worth thousands of dollars. It's real easy to say thank you when everybody's voice is working and they're all standing there singing. It's real easy to say thank you when you've got a great church family and everybody loves each other. That text doesn't say give thanks in the good things. That text in Ephesians 5 doesn't say thank God when it's all going your way. That text in Ephesians 5 doesn't tell me to thank God when the church is packed and everybody loves their pastor and their pastor's family and is treating us right. That text right there says giving thanks always in all things. Now you try to tell somebody that when you're the pastor on the hospital visit. And the news from the doctor wasn't what they wanted to hear. You try to tell somebody that at the funeral when the bereavement, when the result of how this thing turned out was not what they expected. Folks, we ought to be thankful in all things. Can I just tell you, I'm preaching above my own head right now. I try, I really try, and someday I want to get there. I want to be able to say thank you when there's more bills than there is money. I want to be able to say thank you when the test results are not what I had hoped for. I want to be able to say thank you when the church isn't all peaceful and problems have arisen and the, uh, cert- the, the future is uncertain. And I want to be able to say thank you in all things because that's God's will for my life. I want to be a thankful Christian. I believe with all my heart if I can learn to do that, that will carry me through the bad times. I believe that will help put some joy in my heart. I believe that having a thankful spirit and seeking to obey God in thankfulness will help me. It will produce a lot of good things. I mean, look, even before we get to the points of the message this morning. Look at what thankfulness produces. He says, call upon, the, uh, call upon his name. When you learn to be thankful, you can't hardly be thankful without saying thank you. And when you say thank you, you're actually saying it to somebody. So literally, thankfulness in your spirit results in calling on the name of God. It's a great way to kick off your prayer life. If you struggle at all with praying, why don't you say, God, I'm not real good at my prayer life. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start out today trying to tell you some things I really appreciate about you. Some great things you've done for me. What a great God you are. And just get yourself caught up in the rapture of telling God how good he is. A thankful spirit will cause you to call on his name. Boy, if there's anything a Christian needs to do, it's we need to learn how to call on the name of God. Make known his deeds among the people. When you're thankful to God, you can't hardly keep it in. You don't just call on his name. You begin witnessing for him. You begin commending him to others. You begin talking about the Lord. And and when you're talking about the Lord, communicating the Lord to other people in an overflow of your soul, I'm telling you right now, that thing gets contagious. Lost people say, there's something about that guy that's real. 
Not some scripted religious person trying to get them into your church. Amen. Nothing's creepier than some scripted religious person. Like I told you about the charismatic couple that we ran into. It was so scripted. It was all the like, the, like the, the catchphrases of the religion. And I'm like, I'm saying, I'm, I'm a pastor too. And I'm in a very real situation right now. And I could quote all the verses at you and debate all the doctrine off the top of my head. Yes. Now, I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying like, I'm ready right now. Do you understand what I mean? I don't need something that's scripted. I don't need something that, that's, that's not realistic. Somebody that's not living in the real world. I mean, honestly, come on. You're just as real as they are, aren't you? And is your salvation real? Yeah. So if you're really caught up in God and how good he is, and you talk about him from a sincere heart, they're going to recognize the difference. Not some put on pretend thing. I'm talking about a heart overflowing with an understanding of how wonderful the Lord is. And willing to be thankful for him. In verse 2 he says, sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye of his wonderful works. Do you guys realize that when people come into this church that aren't members here, they're visitors and they're looking for a church. And you start that song service out. Man, it's a blessing to have pianists that play the piano. That's a blessing. And, and it makes a huge difference in the song service. Now, our main pianist is fixing to leave us, and that's all right. We raised her to follow God, and I believe she's doing that, so she has my blessing. But we got multiple backups, you know that? You know how we got to a point where we had such good pianists? Tons and tons and tons of commitment, hard work, and practice coming out of an 11-year-old girl that over years built up. Now, now, it's like we had a very awkward song service for many years, Okay. And that really does, like, it drains the energy out of the thing before the preacher even gets up. I used to tell my wife when we leave, sometimes I feel like I'm preaching through a wet blanket. Like, it's absorbing everything I'm trying to send out there. Well, I've noticed that when the, when the song service is great and the, and the people that are, are helping us with that are into it and have trained and tried and worked, that it helps you all sing. Right? Because it's filling the room and it's just, there's like a little bit of a practical side to it. And then not, not just that, but man, when you praise the Lord with a loud voice, it just kind of like it's catchy. You know what I mean? It's like a wildfire that gets started and it spreads. It's a great thing. Well, I'm saying all that to say this. When you're singing out and visitors walk in, you don't realize how many times people have told me, that song, that, that, man, that's amazing the way those people sing. I've never felt it like that. I'm talking about people from big churches. With, with thousands of dollars in sound equipment and, and all these people on the platform doing their thing and swinging around and singing into the microphones and the drums going and the guitars going and the keyboard going and all the rest of it, just a production we can't compete with financially. People come from that and walk into here and say, man, that's amazing. I didn't realize people still sang from the hymn books and at first I was like, hymn books, what in the world? But then when everybody started singing... You know what you're doing? You're thanking God. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused this pain. I mean, think about that. When you think about those words, it's pouring out of your soul. It's a testimony to people that don't know him like you know him. I'm saying all that for this reason. In our other song services, if you haven't noticed, we've been weaving in some new people to play the piano. You know why? Because we're in a transition process because she's leaving. 
and I'm trying to do it gently for the church's sake and to get them ready and give them a chance to get some experience and get ready. But I want to encourage you on this. Help them out. Because they're sitting up there still working through the nerves and still trying to figure it out. Sing that song. If you sing that song, like I always said, one monkey don't stop. I can, I can call her a monkey. She's my kid. One monkey don't stop, no show. <laughs> Why? Because you're communicating to people how good God's been. It's Thanksgiving. That's what our song services ought to be doing. It communicates to God what you think of him. Let the heart of them rejoice in verse 3 that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face evermore. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done. His wonders and the judgment of his mouth. He's saying, seek the Lord. Hey, does anybody want to get to know him better? Does anybody in this room want to be a little bit more like him? Anybody want his help throughout this rotten and wonderful life that we're living and we're thankful for? Well, he says, seek his face after he says, oh, give thanks unto him. I wonder how much of us, how often we miss what God has for us because we're not thanking him for what he's already done for us. It helps you get ready to hear from him when the Bible is preached and let him begin to convict you and work on your mind and work on your heart and grow you in your walk with Jesus Christ because you started that service out thanking him from your heart. Tune it all out and focus in on how good he's been to you. Now, in the passage, I saw three different things that we ought to all in this room, every one of us, can thank God for regardless of what we're going through. And the first one is seen in verses 6 through 16, and I'm taking the, the point here from verse number 9. But the example that is given us is Abraham and his life. In this passage, he runs, I mean, through the whole ministry or through the whole life of three different guys. And, and he starts it out saying, oh, give thanks. And then he concludes the passage with a great conclusion, which I'll give you in a few minutes. But the first thing that you and I ought to be thankful for is illustrated by Abraham in verse number nine. He said, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac. You know what I'm thankful for about God this morning? I'm thankful for the covenants that God keeps. I wouldn't want to serve a God that couldn't keep his word. I'm glad that I have a God in heaven that when he makes a covenant, when he gives you a promise, he keeps that promise. Listen, men will break your heart. Women will break your heart. Children will disappoint you. Friends will let you down. Churches will let you down. Preachers will let you down. That's just the reality of life. If you focus on all that, you'll be one of those bitter, fruitless Christians. And you'll go out and do to everybody else what you say they're doing to you. Yeah, right. I could preach on that a while. I'm resisting the urge right now. Because it ain't in my notes. I'm trying to get better about chasing them rabbits. Some of them are so fat and juicy, I just want their hide. You don't understand what I'm saying? You got to focus on the fact that God keeps his promises, even when people fail you. He kept his promise to Abraham. Go back and look at verse 6. He said, O seed of Abraham, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, which covenant he made with Abraham and his oath unto Isaac, and confirmed the same unto Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant. God made a deal with Abraham, confirmed it to Isaac, 
confirmed it to Jacob, passed it on to Israel. And he said, it's everlasting. God keeps his word. That covenant had to do with them as a nation, the Lord is their king, and specifically a piece of land. They have no business being in the Gaza Strip. I don't care about your political viewpoint. We're not looking at it from politics or anything else. We're looking at it from God's viewpoint. And God gave them more land than they're currently possessing. God said he would bring them into the land after they got scattered. So that was a fulfillment of prophecy. What was it, 1948? And that was just the beginning of what God said he's going to do. Saying unto thee, in verse number 11, unto thee will I give the land of Canaan. I already commented on it just now. The lot of your inheritance, an everlasting covenant. God keeps his covenants. When they were but a few men in number, yea, very few and strangers in it. When they went from one nation to another, from one kingdom to another people, and he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He break the whole staff of bread. We'll come back to that in a minute. Now let me say this by reason of teaching as I preach. In verse number 15, this is one of the most quoted verses by many preachers who want to threaten people not to mess with them. And what they'll say in the deacons meeting or at the church vote, you know, touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. <laughs> which is a gross misapplication of that passage. In the context, he's talking about his people, Israel. And in the context, he has led them out of the land of Egypt, we're coming to soon in the passage, and he told them, don't mess with my people. Guess what they've been doing for centuries? Messing with his people. Burning them alive in droves. Stripping them naked and setting them in file in, 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 in single file in a line and putting them in and burning them alive. Guess what they just did to his people in modern day? Kicked in the front doors of their, you know, uh, democratic homes in their free modernized society while they're watching their TVs and playing their video games just like you do on their smartphones scrolling through Facebook, raping their women and children butchering them while they're still alive. That's what God said to do, but you know what the prophets of God have been doing for centuries? Been getting killed for preaching. Just saw a headline yesterday about an Arizona street preacher, 25-year-old military guy preaching on the street in Arizona, shot in the head while preaching. Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. God commanded that, but people don't obey it. That's talking specifically about his people, mine anointed. Well, guess what the anointed are in the New Testament? Every born-again Christian is one of his anointed. You have that anointing according to the New Testament. You know what God's telling you? He's telling you, don't mess with my people. It's awful quiet, doesn't it? Listen, nothing bothers me more, I mean, bothers me more than when people walk in and criticize my church family. I cannot stink and stand it. 
I had one preacher come years ago. We were still in the storefront. And we got in the car and he said, man, those people are dead. He was a friend of mine. I said was. No, I'm not apologizing for it. You say, that's unpastorally. Well, you don't understand all the stories, so please trust me if you give me the benefit of the doubt. He was a friend of mine. I said, what? They're dead. I didn't say this, but right now today, this is what I would have said. Oh, I'm sorry they didn't suit your ego. You can't preach unless they're shouting you down and laughing at all your jokes. And they don't know you from Adam, son. Why don't you earn their respect and then maybe they won't be so dead when you're preaching. He never came back. I don't appreciate you criticizing my church family. I don't need you walking in here looking around and seeing if everybody's hemline is what you think it should be. I don't appreciate you looking around seeing if there's too much ink on people's skin in my church. I'm not making excuse for dressing immodestly. I'm not making excuses if you know better. Some of you kids, you don't be going out and getting tattoos. If you do, we'll remove them for you. Nice sharp knife and we're all set. You know, I mean... It's not okay. I'm not saying we drop the standard. I'm saying this is God's people and we're reaching people. And I hope we always have people coming in that don't fit the standard. And what we're going to focus on is working on their heart and feeding them the word of God and preaching the truth to them unapologetically. And we're going to get nice and hard preaching from the pulpit. But we're going to be gentle in our application and our one-on-one with them because it takes people time. If they'll come and sit and listen to preaching like this, then I'm one-on-one with them. I'll be gentle and give them time to grow. Don't mess with people. You don't know who you're hurting. You don't know who you're criticizing. Some people don't know the story. Most people don't know the stories of people's backgrounds, and I do. Why has pastor put up with that? Well, maybe there's more to the story. But either way, all you got to worry about is God said don't hurt them. Let them come to church and let them grow and give them some fellowship and trust God. And if you see stuff you don't like, be mature enough to let it go. So God can work on them. I'm not talking about justifying people living in sin. You know that. I'm not talking about turning a blind eye to open unrepentant sin. I will deal with that stuff. I promise you I've got what it takes to deal with it. I'm talking about being patient not to hurt God's people when they need time to grow. It's part of being a pastor. You've got to understand that. And as our church grows and more and more people come, you're coming from different backgrounds, and we got to understand that there's just a mixture of people in the room. Now, God made a promise with this man, just like he's made a promise to his church. If you're saved, you're the anointed of God. That's a good thing. And God's given you some promises that are everlasting. In other words, folks, you ain't losing your salvation. Now, that's something to be thankful for. Go with me to the book of Hebrews. Here's the problem. Between the time you got saved, Hebrews chapter 11, if you would, please. Between the time you got saved and the time all of the promises of God come to fruition in your life, there's usually a long road that you have to travel. And on that road, you're going to run into things and circumstances and situations that will eventually make you doubt whether or not God really is worthy to be thanked. I'll just be honest with you, okay? Just, just going to be me. Nothing new. There has 100% been times in my life where I've said, God, I know you said I'm to give thanks in all things, but I don't know how to thank you for this. 
I know you say all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, but I don't see how it's possible for that to work out good. Yeah. I, I'm maybe a little too honest with him. I fear him and I'm respectful to him. I don't disrespect him when I talk to him, but I'm honest with him. He knows my mind and my heart anyways. It helps me to be direct with the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse number 8. God made a covenant with him, right? I'm thankful God keeps his covenants, but watch this. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed and went out, not knowing whither he went. God keeps his covenants, right? God said to Abraham, I'll make of you a great nation. Okay? So guess what God does in the process when he's working on his man? He tests him. I think that's why he says to give thanks in everything and then let bad things happen to you and sit back without telling you how the bad thing's going to turn out and watch us to see what you'll do. It's a test. Do you understand he keeps his promises? Do you understand he's going to work it out for your good because he promised he would? Do you understand he's never going to leave you or forsake you? Yes, Didn't he say that? I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Yes, sir. I've been through periods in my life where I cried out to him and cried out to him and cried out to him and felt like he wasn't there. Yes, sir. And I had to come down to a point where I said, Lord, you said you were here, so I know you're here, and I'm just trusting you're here. I don't feel it. I don't know it. I, don't, I just believe it. I know you're here because you said you are. And man, I'm telling you, there have been times then when it comes back and it's so real, it's un. Believable. I don't think it would ever come back if I'd have got stuck in my bitterness and anger and frustration and misunderstanding and not just obeyed him and said thank you. You guys know throughout the Old Testament they offered a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's one thing to say thank you when it's all going good. It's another thing to say thank you when it's a sacrifice. Abraham had his faith tested. It was tested as to whether or not he would follow God and God gave him orders and he followed those orders but he didn't know how it worked out. I was thinking of a lot of you in this. You know how many people have come to this church particularly and just said I feel like this is what God told me to do and I don't know what's next but I feel like I'm supposed to be here right now. That's the right stuff. Most people don't want to do what God wants them to do until they know how it's going to work out. Okay, Lord, where are you sending me? I'm not telling you where I'm sending you. Just go. Seriously, just go. Yeah, just go. And because he went when God told him to go, God led him to the next step when it was time. God tests him. Not verse 9 in Hebrews 11, 9. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise. As in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, and him as good as dead. His body was dead. God worked a miracle. 
so many as the stars of the sea in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, watch it, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You know what God did with them? God tested his faith. Can you thank God when God's testing your faith? I didn't say thank God when he's already blessed. That's easy. That's a no-brainer. I, I think it was, just, it was just debt to the Lord, standing back there listening to them sing and just saying, thank you, Lord. Just like, I mean, I don't think that does anything for me at the judgment seat of Christ. But boy, when God said, do this, and I say, okay, and I'm scared. And how's this going to work out? And how am I going to know? And he says, the will of God's found on the road of duty. Just take the next step. Yeah, but where's this leading? None of your business where it's leading. I'm God. You follow. Yeah, but I want to know how it's going to work out in the end. You got an agenda, son. What I'm trying to teach you is to follow me and trust me. God, I'm living in tents. I'm raising my kid in tents. You're promising us a land, but I don't see a land. You're saying a seed innumerable, but I can count them all. And I got a nice little family going on here, but I can count them all. What's this innumerable stuff? God's got a bigger view than the little tiny smidgen of your life. So can you thank him? Because his promises are true, his covenants he keeps. Even when you don't see the end yet. Abraham did. Look down at verse number 17. God doesn't just test his faith, but then God tries his obedience. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Are you joking, God? Hey, take thy son, thine only son Isaac, who you love, and offer him. God lets him take him all the way up there on that mount, put him down on that altar, and raise, raise the knife. You know, at his age, I mean, he was as good as dead 13 years ago when he, she, he was conceived. Something like that. He's easily in his teen years, probably a little more than 13, actually. The boy was old enough to fight back. The boy got on the altar. The man was too old to muscle him. The boy got on the altar. He picked that thing up, and the Bible says that he believed God was going to raise him from the dead. He was going to plunge the knife into the heart of his own son. Talk about testing your faith. Lord, thank you for this boy. You gave him to me, and if you want him back, he's yours to have back. Thank you for the time I had with him, and now he's yours. Can you, can you mom and daddy, can you lay your kids on the altar and say, God, they're yours? And what you did with them, what you do with them, they're yours. They're not mine. Thank you for the kid. That's a guy that God said, I love him. He's my friend. And I'm going to multiply his seed like the stars of heaven. And you're all going to look to him as an example of what it means to walk with God and have a special touch from God and be a special man with God. Look at that. He couldn't have done that with an unthankful heart. Back to the book of Psalms 105, please. I'm thankful God keeps his covenants. In other words, I can trust God no matter what he asks from me. 
I can trust God no matter where he leads me. I can trust God when he doesn't give me all the answers or show me the outcome. Because what he's promised, he's able also to perform. That means if he said all things work together for good, then I can thank him in the bad because it's going to work out for my good and for his glory because he promised it. He keeps his promises. I'm thankful that God constructs through the circumstances of our lives. Look at verse 17. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go. He made him lord of his house and ruler of all his sustenance, all his substance, excuse me, that's the need for glasses, to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his senators wisdom. Israel also came into Egypt, and Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and he increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies. He turned their heart to hate his people to deal subtly with his servants. Here's crazy circumstances going on in the life of Joseph. Crazy circumstances going on in the history of Israel. If you were Joseph going through what he's going through, you'd have a hard time telling God, thank you for what my brothers are doing to me. What did Joseph do wrong? Nothing. Oh, he has a coat of many colors. It's not his fault the father put the coat on him. He didn't ask for the coat. The father said, I prefer you. I don't have favorites. I don't even like it when people ask me if I have a favorite. I don't even like it when my daughters joke around like, you know I'm your favorite. Because then I got to say, no, you're not. And that's hurtful. But then I let it go. And the other ones are like, oh, is she really his favorite? Like, it's not even funny. Like, I can tell you all great things about each one of you and things I don't like about each one of you. Okay? Let's just be real. And you all have your own spot in my heart. God enlarged my heart every time I had a child. I'm serious. It's like he does when you're a pastor. God just enlarges your heart. Oh, the church is growing. Eh? The pastor's changed. Like, God, just, it doesn't mean you're bumped out, okay? It means God enlarged my heart. More people come. That's a good thing. You should be confident enough in our relationship if you've been here a while so you don't have to have 24-7 of my attention and you know that I still love you and I'll be here next week, okay? It's just how it works. It's God's doing. But he had a favorite, okay? So I, like, I don't like that, but that's reality. That's what it is. And guess what? God also does the same thing. So if you have favorites, mom and dad, I can't really like, pick a fight with you about it. I just feel like it's like unfair to the other ones. Unless they're a complete rebel and they do nothing but torture you and they're a stinking brat and then I get it. You're not my favorite anymore. Get out. You know? <laughs> right? But if they're all trying, I don't like it. So let's just real with you. But God does have favorites. God does prefer some over others. God puts certain gifts on people or puts a coat on people and you don't have to like them. You don't have to agree with them. Sometimes I'm like, God, why would you even use him? I don't like that guy. God's like, none of your business. I like him. I'm like, yes, sir, you're the boss. It wasn't Joseph's fault that he got the coat put on him. It wasn't Joseph's fault he wouldn't put up with the foolishness. And he'd bring the evil report back to his dad and tell him the truth because his character meant more to him than whether or not people liked him or his brothers messed with him. He got tortured for doing right. I'm sure it was very hard for him to say, thank you, God, when he gets thrown into a pit. 
when he gets sold into slavery, when God blesses through all that, I'm sure that as things were panning out and he's getting exalted and promoted and he's in Potiphar's house and everything's looking up, I'm 100% sure that there were moments when he said, oh, now I see what you were doing. God, thank you so much. This is great, you know, cool. Appreciate the great meals. Appreciate the good clothes. Appreciate being able to run the show. Why, where did he ask for the false accusation from that wicked woman? That perverted woman. Where did he ask for the false accusations? And by the way, why didn't Potiphar cut his head off? Between me and you, God can straighten me up at the judgment seat if I'm wrong on this. I think Potiphar knew she was lying. Back into prison. I'm sure then when he gets in prison and interprets the dreams, oh, we'll remember you when I get before the king and then forgets about him. I'm sure he was somewhere along that line having a real hard time saying thank you. Just like probably some of you are this morning having a pretty hard time saying thank you. But you know what God saw? God saw what God was going to do with that boy. And it says the word of the Lord in that passage, the word of the Lord did what? It's right there in the text. You see it? tried him what tried him the word of God you know why it's so important for you to get in church and keep learning your Bible and keep coming to hear the preaching because God will put stuff on you as you're in church and as you're reading your Bible and doing your devotions God will put stuff on you that will stick in your soul and you'll go 5, 10, 15 years down the road and something will happen and that verse will pop up in your mind You'll have a hard time saying thank you and God will remind you that all things work together for good. You'll feel awful alone and he said, I never leave you nor forsake you. You'll feel like there's no way you can get the comfort you need to get through the tragedy you're going through and he'll say, I'll send the comforter in your name and you'll be able to comfort them wherewith you yourselves have been comforted of God. Do you know you try the Bible? You know that? You ever try? I think you should. You should try the Bible. There's some stuff in the Bible you should try. You know, the only time the word experiment shows up in the Bible talks about with giving. You shouldn't touch on the holy grail of money, you know. Talks about giving. Experiment. See what God will do. Like my preacher said, I give it here and I put my hand in this pocket and I'm like, oh, where'd that come from? And I give it there and I put my hand back here and I'm like, where'd that come from? And I give it there and I put my hand in here. Well, where'd that come from? That's how God does it. You should try the Bible. But don't you ever forget that Bible's trying you. Maybe that's why he says, in everything give thanks. Because while you're in the pit, while you're in the prison, before things have worked out yet, and you realize the full fruition of what God was doing and how God was using the circumstances of your life to construct you. Well, how could God be in it when a woman makes a false accusation against me? How could God be in it when somebody, uh, they sell me off in, into slavery, and now here I am stuck, and it says they hurt his feet in fetters. Yeah, guess what, though? Years later, when he's standing there and all his brothers are before him, I imagine while he's standing there, he had sharp pains running up his leg from his feet. And the devil's probably saying, here's your chance to get even. And it's human nature in him because he's an accomplished man. I'm telling you, Joseph was no sloth. He was more than likely brilliant. To be second to Pharaoh, you, you, studies have been done on world leaders throughout history, and the average IQ 
you'd be shocked. I don't care how much you like Biden or don't like him or whether or not he's slipping as he gets older, you'd probably be shocked what his IQ is. Brilliant man, powerful man, been through all kinds of stuff, and he's got an opportunity to gut those boys. And I imagine the devil starts poking those feet that hurt and troubled them for years now. And there they are. And he said unto them, Be not grieved nor angry with yourselves, for God sent me here to preserve life. You might meant it unto evil, but God meant it unto good. I imagine he had no problem at all when he saw what God was doing with his life through all those circumstances and how God put him in a pit and put him in a prison and took him through all that stuff to prepare him, to try him, to test him, to get him ready for what God had for him many, many years later. And when he began to see the fruit coming in his life and ministry, okay, God, thank you. But the question I want to ask you is, do you think he'd have ever been at that place to be able to say thank you if there wasn't periods along that way where he learned to say thank you in the pit and say thank you in the prison? I don't care what the circumstances of your life are. Can I tell you, God's trying to construct you. He's working on you. He's invested in you. He wants to do something with your life. So thank him for your circumstances. Look at the last thing, and we'll just point out a couple of verses here for the sake of time, but look at verse 26. He sent Moses, his servant, and Aaron, whom he had chosen. See that? Then it runs you down through all that God did and the miracles that God had given and how God delivered them from the land and all the stuff God did to help bring them out of bondage and the strength God gave them and all the rest of that. Look down at verse number 39. He spread a cloud for a covering and a fire to give light in the night. The people asked and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. He opened the rock and waters gushed out. They ran in dry places like a river, verse 41. He remembered his holy promise. Back to my first point, God keeps him. And Abraham, his servant, he brought forth his people with joy and his chosen with gladness. See it again, his chosen with gladness. And he gave them the lands of the heathen and they inherited the labor of the people. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that God covers his chosen. Now, I'm not a Calvinist. Another way of saying that is reformed. I'm not not into all that stuff. I believe you have a choice whether you go to hell or not. You can reject Jesus Christ if you wish, and you can accept him if you wish. He died for every man, woman, boy, and girl on the planet and will save anybody who comes to him and doesn't pick and choose who can and can't. So if you go to hell, it's your fault, not God's. But once you trust him as your savior, you become the elect. You get in the chosen who is Jesus Christ. He's the chosen. And when you trust him as your savior, you're in. You know what he does with those that are his? He covers them. He never leaves them or forsakes them. He brings them quail and manna from heaven and water out of the rock. I am thankful that God takes care of his people. I'm telling you, I don't care what problems you're going through, what troubles and trials you have, God's here to take care of you. 
Can I say this to encourage you what this church is for? This church is for you to come in here and sit down and relax and open your mind and open your heart and ask God to bring some water out of the rock. Ask God to drop a little manna in your lap. Ask God to bring you some quail and feed you. Ask God to lead you and guide you and protect you and keep you from falling and keep you from messing up your life and messing up your future. Forgive you when you do mess up. Man, it's a great thing to have a God who doesn't ditch us just because we mess up. Ain't that great? Ain't it great to have a merciful Father? Ain't it great to be able to say thank you? Ain't it great to have a place to come and say, God, give me something out of the Bible this morning. And when you come in here, by the grace of God, as long as I'm your pastor, you come in here and you know you're going to get the Bible unapologetic, uncompromisingly, studied over, prayed over, and doing everything in my power to apply it to your life to help you get some quail and some manna and some water out of that book. Something to be thankful for. You know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that he covers his chosen so much and provides for him so much that tomorrow morning when I get up and I'm not in church and I don't have the preacher there to tell me what I need to hear, I can still open that book and he still shows up and feeds my soul. So the point of the whole thing, look at the last verse in the passage. That they might observe his statutes and keep his laws. Praise ye the Lord. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to observe his statutes and keep his laws. Church ain't just for Sunday. It's Monday through Saturday too. And you know what one of his statutes is, one of his laws is, one of his wills is for your life? In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, we have an invitation time at this church, and it's just to give you an opportunity. There's no pressure to come up here and pray. I don't judge the effectiveness of my message necessarily by a response to it. And so there's no, there's no pressure to do that. You can sit in your pew and get right with God. But, but it's a good thing to do, in my opinion, because it's a time for you to humble yourself a little bit and, and nail some things down, and hopefully you don't just rush out here and forget what God did for you. And here's the point of the invitation this morning, which we'll have in just a second here. The point of the invitation this morning is, if everything's going great in your life, have you stopped to tell God thank you? You know when Israel backslid? When everything was going great. Because they didn't stop to count all the blessings and realize where they came from and say thanks for the blessings. It's the least you could do. And if things aren't going good for you right now and you're having a hard time, here's the invitation. You're not going to like it. Can you say thank you right now? And trust him that he keeps his promises. He won't fall short of what he says. He constructs through your circumstances. And he covers his own. And can you come and say, God, I'm disappointed, I'm brokenhearted, I'm discouraged, but I want to just say thank you for my problems. Because I'm putting my faith in you just like Abraham did. I'm trying to follow you like Moses did. I'm trusting you like Joseph did. So thank you. Whether anything good comes out of it or not, thank you. Let's stand to your feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the pianist comes.